This is Wilderness and Wildlife, presented by the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. This is a half-hour program featuring commentaries and interviews with wildlife and wilderness advocates relating to the unique natural environment that we enjoy in the wildlands of the West and all across America. I'm your host, Jay Shell. Our guest today is Hannah Mabelez, wildlife biologist uh, with the National Park Service involved in wide-ranging species conservation. She'll tell us a little more about it. So let's get started. Welcome, Hanum. It's good to be talking with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. So tell us about what you do and, and what the, uh, the section of the park services that you're involved with. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I am a wildlife ecologist. I am currently with the Washington, D.C. level or national level office of the National Park Service. And so to clarify that a little bit, because folks are usually used to talking to biologists directly from parks, um, I'm no longer affiliated with a single park. I work at the national level for what we call the Natural Resource Stewardship and Science Directorate. And uh, I provide assistance to parks on a wide range of wildlife conservation issues across the country. I largely focus on wide-ranging species conservation issues, um, issues related to large mammals, uh, both herbivores, predators, and other species that also have sort of outsized ecological impacts. And so an example of that might be beaver in the Intermountain West. And so that's where I am now. I'm relatively new in this position. And I think uh, we also might talk a bit, I believe, about my previous position where I was an ecologist at Rocky Mountain National Park uh, from 2015 to 2022 oh. and um, worked with uh, elk, moose, and riparian ecosystems management there. So what's your background? What are your, what are your academic credentials? Um, I am... Uh, I have been a professional wildlife biologist with the uh, Department of Interior Agencies since 2010, and um, prior to that, uh, schooling uh, undergraduate work at the University of Connecticut, graduate work uh, studying bobcat movement and habitat selection in the northern forests of New England at the University of Vermont. Ah, so you fled, where, you fled west for what reason? <laughs> I think there's some really fascinating landscapes, you know, in the western United States. I'm currently stationed in Colorado, and uh, I love working with the big landscapes, big critters, and some of the big wildlife ch challenges out here in the western U.S. Um, but in my new role, I will be supporting work uh, nationwide. Uh-huh. And what, what does that mean, supporting the work uh it sounds like you have a pretty poor, pretty broad portfolio. Yeah, so it it's um, oftentimes um, in this national level role, folks like myself are going to be uh, assisting parks with uh, particularly thorny wildlife management issues, um, assisting with interpretation of policy, assisting with acquisition of funding to execute uh, wildlife conservation projects. Um, and so, again, I am still focused on large mammal, wide-ranging species uh, conservation work. Um, but I may start to dabble in some white-tailed deer management work back east. But I think in this new role, um, a lot of that still remains to be defined. And I can probably speak a bit more clearly to um, some of the work from Rocky Mountain National Park. So, so do you travel widely now? Uh, yes, that's 
that's definitely going to be on the docket is um, going where needed and participating in professional meetings, uh, conferences, and uh, workshops related to wildlife conservation, depending on what's going on. And you receive and collect data from other uh, wildlife biologists in the field? We, um, so I'm not in a research, uh, strictly a research position currently. We do help folks uh, develop uh, scientific protocols, um, connections with the academic community, connections with researchers where parks need to address um, wildlife census questions. How many wildlife are there? Where do they go? What questions do we need for management? Um, and during my tenure at Rocky Mountain National Park, I did quite a bit of moose and elk research, which I'm continuing to work on, and I can speak to that if that's of interest. Uh, sure. So uh, I assume that biodiversity is uh, an important part of your portfolio. Uh, what do you do to restore system health and biodiversity? Yeah, so... Um, I'll use the Rocky Mountain National Park example. So um, not an uncommon story in the Intermountain West is the degradation of riparian systems. You've got uh, the absence of beaver. In a lot of these sites, beaver were extirpated or trapped out of areas before protected areas were put in place. And um, there was also the removal of keystone predators, uh, for, like wolves and grizzly bears that normally would control uh, elk population numbers. And so something that we saw in Rocky is uh, that as those parts of the system were dismantled, the elk population started to increase dramatically mm -hmm. and affect vegetation communities on the landscape. Mm -hmm. And when you have this decline in riparian shrub systems um, that are usually willow-dominated and beaver-constructed, you also see declines in biodiversity because these places are areas that are really critical for wildlife in the arid lands of the West. They are where the water is and where the resources are. And so if you have declines in wetlands on the landscape, you're going to see declines in biodiversity. This could be native fish, pollinators, neotropical nesting migratory birds, and so a big part of my job at Rocky Mountain National Park was to um, assess the conditions on the landscape and to implement the park's elk and vegetation management plan, which uh, the goal of that was to reestablish the balance between elk and uh, the vegetation that they use on the landscape and thus promote biodiversity in those riparian systems and restore that diversity. Does that mean that you're part of the effort to uh, bring back wolves to Colorado? That effort is uh, being headed by Colorado Parks and Wildlife, and so that's a state-level initiative, not a park service-level initiative. And um, if wolves move back, you know, into park service lands in Colorado, then the park service will manage them as the protected species they are. Mm -hmm. But there are no current plans uh, to actively restore wolves inside national park units mm -hmm. um, in the state, and will be you know, keeping tabs on the effort by Colorado Parks and Wildlife uh, to do so. So what's now the status with beaver? Are they coming back? Yeah, and so beaver are one of the, one of the success stories of this um, elk and vegetation management effort. And so uh, there were quite a few valleys in Rocky Mountain National Park that had been devoid of beaver for some time mm -hmm. where 
there had been 90% decreases in beaver populations. And through these efforts uh, related to riparian shrub restoration, the restoration of willow, the restoration of aspen on the landscape, and ensuring that the elk population was not so high that it was continuing to damage those vegetation communities, um, beaver have moved back into quite a few restoration sites in the park on their own. So for years, we had taken a build it and they shall come approach, you know, thinking if we can get the habitat restoration going, hopefully we will see the beaver respond to that. And that is exactly what's happening. So that's really exciting. And beavers are building dams in places where they had not been seen for several decades. So a really great success story there. So are there are there ungulates that are that are returning or that are that you're, that you're dealing with in uh, apart from the elk? Yeah, there are. So uh, the moose population has increased quite dramatically in Colorado and in Rocky Mountain National Park over the last couple of decades. Um, the State Wildlife Agency brought moose into North Park, um, which is northwest of Rocky, um, in the late 1970s. And those moose uh, proceeded to expand their range into the park, and now they are occupying all of the pseudopel habitat that's available to them in Rocky Mountain National Park. And I think a lot of folks get excited when they hear that. And certainly moose are incredible, charismatic animals, but they also uh, they utilize quite a bit of willow, and they can impact areas the same way that elk can when their populations expand and are not checked by other natural processes like having wolves and grizzly bears on the landscape, which we do not have. So um, in 2017, during my tenure at the park, we started a research project to assess how many moose were out there and also to GPS collar moose and figure out where they were spending most of their time and what their habitat selection looked like. I see. So uh, you, you said that there are no bear in the park, is that right? There are no there are no grizzly bears. There are black bear present in the park. What's what's how's their population doing? They're fairly stable. Um, if you look at Rocky, the park is divided um, into three distinct ecological zones: the alpine, the subalpine, and the montane. And typically, the black bears are going to be found only in the montane portion, mm-hmm. and um, they are not effective predators of elk or moose, so they typically are not incorporated as a top-down control for those ungulate populations. Typically, only grizzly bears and wolves would be able to effectively control um, elk and moose populations for those really large large ungulates. You have Rocky Mountain sheep and, and mountain goats? We do have a native Rocky Mountain sheep. Um, there's not been any research ongoing with them in the park for quite some time. And the there are currently no mountain goats um, in the park, and mountain goats are not native to Rocky Mountain National Park. So there is no effort to um, have them persist inside the park. So you don't know how the sheep population is doing? I do not have current information on that. Okay. And... Uh... You're using high-resolution infrared from fixed-wing aircraft uh, to uh, look at your wildlife populations. Uh, Talk about that, would you? Yeah, so 
Um, we were using that uh, specifically to get an idea of how many moose might be uh, occupying the park um, or what's often called abundance of moose, so how many animals per unit area or square kilometer. And uh, we did not have good information on that prior to initiating this project. Um, and so there's multiple considerations when you want to assess the status of a wildlife population, one of which is getting accurate data. Other considerations inside national park units, um, like Rocky in particular, are not uh, negatively affecting the visitor experience, right, because Rocky gets a substantial number of visitors every year, and so you want to ensure that uh, you can minimize your impact to visitors while you're collecting science. You also want to minimize your impact to your target wildlife, and uh, you want to minimize impact to congressionally designated wilderness areas. And so all of these were considerations when we were designing this study, um, both myself and my colleague, uh, Dr. Tom Hobbs at Colorado State University. And we came up with an approach where we said, hey, why don't we utilize uh, some of this high-resolution infrared technology um, from fixed-wing aircraft at high elevations. And so that high elevation is when you're flying at high elevations, it's safer for the folks that are on board conducting the survey. Mm-hmm. Um, it is less disruptive to both the target wildlife for the survey as well as non-target wildlife, other animals that just happen to be in the area. It's less disruptive to park visitors and it's less um, impactful to designated wilderness areas um, by alleviating noise and visual disturbance. So with all these things, there were some positives to try and test out this high-resolution infrared approach. And we coupled that with uh, folks, if they're familiar with wildlife census, they may have heard of line-distance sampling, double-observer line-distance sampling, um, which is very commonly used to assess wildlife population numbers, um, particularly for cervids and other large mammals. And so we conducted a double-observer line-distance sample-based um, survey using the high-resolution infrared camera affixed to fixed-wing aircraft. And so we flew those surveys, um, pilot surveys, in 2019 and 2020. And um, it's pretty exciting because we were able to get a robust, repeatable, and fairly accurate estimates of moose density using that approach. And so we are actually... Um, in the final stages of analyzing those data now and uh, hopefully getting a manuscript prepared. Are you continuing to do aerial surveys or was it completed in 2020? So my work was completed in 2020 and I think, um, you know, you'd have to ask the park managers directly um, if they plan to continue that in the future or revisit it. I am not aware of any plans to do so at this time. You you contract with private operators for the aircraft? We do. For this project, we worked with Oahe Air Research out of Napa, Idaho, and they have extensive experience utilizing high-resolution infrared for wildlife survey efforts. You also use collared uh, information, don't you, that you uh, get from collars on moose and elk? Yeah. Uh, GPS collars um, give us information that we likely could not get any other way. You know, very precise information related to where animals spend their time. And so the aerial survey helps us ask the question, how many, or answer that question. Mm -hmm. Answer the question, how many moose? The GPS callers help you answer the question, where do they come from, where do they go to, and where do they spend their time? 
And so uh, the way we couch that typically in ecology would be talking about habitat selection and animal space use and movement. And so we did affix some 50 or so collars to uh, both adult bull and cow moose from 2017 through 2020. And we are analyzing those data currently. And um, some of the things that are popping out from the initial analysis is, as expected, they do spend a disproportionate amount of their time in riparian areas. They, um, we would expect to see this because a large part of their summer diet is uh, a variety of willow species that would be found in those riparian systems. Mm-hmm. And they also use forests that are adjacent to riparian systems pretty heavily. And we'll have more, uh, much more detailed information on their annual home range, seasonal home range, and other metrics once we complete the analysis that we're currently running through. Um, but that is, that's what we've been up to with the GPS, both the GPS coloring and uh, the aerial census work. What was the size of the population in 2020 when you were doing that aerial survey? Well, we have... Um, results just for a specific area of the park. So we did not survey the entire park. And for that area, we had about 0.22 moose per square kilometer. Um, Actually, it was 0.22 per square kilometer in 2020 and 0.21 in 2019. So you can see it's quite repeatable there. And um, that's kind of within the range of what one would expect. And I think a natural question to ask well, what does 0.22 moose per square kilometer mean, right? Um, and I think that that's another question we're currently working through is, um, is that sustainable for the current amount of willow that's out there on the landscape? Can the moose mm-hmm. that are there exist in balance with their habitat? Yeah. Are there too few moose? Are there too many moose? Or is, is the number just right? And so we are continuing to press forward on some of those questions so that the park can use this data to inform next stages of moose management. So when you multiply that 2.2 moose uh, out uh, for the area, what population size do you get? For the study area, we were seeing, I believe, a median of approximately 150 moose or so. Uh And what's the... uh, What's the elevation uh, where you, they are found? So the elevation in Rocky varies quite dramatically. It straddles, the park straddles the continental divide. Right. And um, so we are often seeing moose. They tend to use a little bit lower elevations in the summer and a little bit higher mean elevation in the winter. Mm. But they are very individual in their choices. So um, some are definitely doing something different from the norm. And uh, we call that sort of mixed movement and mixed habitat selection. But they um, can be found anywhere from the lowest elevations of the park, um, you know, around 8,000 feet, all the way up to we've seen moose certainly at at 12,000 feet. But I'd say more often we're, we would find them between that 8,000 and 11,000 feet or so, depending on the season, time of year, and the forage availability. So how many, what do you have in the endangered species list in the park? Sorry, what was that? What's on the endangered species list uh, that's in the park uh, of, of both plants and animals? So I don't work... Uh, 
I don't do too much work currently um, or during my role at Rocky with uh, federally listed species. Um, the park does have the federally threatened uh, cutthroat trout, greenback cutthroat trout, but I am not um, going to be able to speak to that too much. Yeah. They're, they used to have another biologist on staff who specialized in those sorts of things, and um, I'm not sure if they can hook you up with someone at this time yeah. to talk to threatened and endangered species, but that's going to be out of my bailiwick. How about birds? Uh have you done any work on on what birds and what their populations are that are either increasing or de- decreasing? I was not involved in population estimation work. Uh, we did do uh, some census of uh, golden eagles and peregrine falcons during the nesting season, and we worked uh, with the climbing community to try to balance climbing recreational use Mm. with um, the nesting requirements and needs of peregrine falcons and golden eagles. But that's kind of a very basic wildlife management thing, you know, balancing recreational Mm. use and wildlife uh, breeding success and persistence at a site as opposed to estimating their population size. Did you have any indication as to whether eagle populations are increasing or decreasing? No, we did not. Okay. Uh, how about reptiles? Uh, have you had any involvement with with reptiles? No. Okay. Uh, how about uh, how about coyotes and uh, foxes? Aside from knowing that they exist out there, they were not focal species for management or research. So we know that they are present on the landscape and. Uh, certainly play important roles, but those were not uh, species of management focus. How about other uh, small mammals like wolverine? Uh, Wolverine do not currently exist. Uh Um, Their populations are not present in Rocky Mountain National Park. Martins or fishers? Sorry? Fishers? Yeah, no, none... Again, uh, we did not have ongoing work with those species. Uh, are there any geographical areas that are that you consider more important and require fo- your focus and concentration? Absolutely. So that, that circles back to this conversation about riparian restoration. Um, often riparian systems are fairly small number of acres in a protected area. So in Rocky Mountain National Park, wetlands are only about 4% of the surface acres in the park, but they are disproportionately valuable for wildlife in ways that we spoke about earlier. Uh, They also offer um, resiliency to wildland fire, to climate change effects. They retain water on the landscape throughout longer periods of the year and they are bastions of biodiversity. They're biodiversity hotspots, and so we see a high concentration of a myriad of species and life in these riparian systems. And so that's why um, Rocky Mountain National Park and other protected areas have really focused on riparian systems, restoration and conservation, because these sites are disproportionately valuable to the landscape. And so all of the things we've talked about today, um, moose management, elk management, large predators, uh, beaver, willow, and aspen on the landscape. It's all intertwined into this theme of healthy riparian system. Uh, so w- what interactions do you have with U.S. Fish and Wildlife and the Forest Service? 
So a lot of our work is, is it's very important that we think about conservation at landscape scales. Um, wildlife conservation does not stop at land management boundaries, right? Animals are not aware that we have put these imaginary lines on the landscape. And so they're going to use habitat across jurisdictions, both um, federal land uh, agencies, so that would be Forest Service, BLM, the National Park Service, um, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service refuges, as well as local land managers like county land managers, uh, working with private landowners. There's all sorts of uh, partnerships and interactions that have to take place to properly manage or manage wildlife to the best of our ability using the best available science on these large landscapes. And so that requires quite a bit of coordination back and forth between the agencies, um, particularly when you have wide-ranging species such as elk that move uh, pretty regularly throughout the year in and out of the Park Service and onto adjacent Forest Service lands, for example. So uh, with your new portfolio uh, now, uh, you're working with multiple parks, I guess, all across the country. Uh, are there any particular parks that you're uh, currently engaging with? So I'm so new in this role, um, and uh, so I don't have too much to share there. I'm just getting my feet wet on on some new issues and um, don't really have too much information to share yet on those projects. Okay. So what are you looking forward to engaging with? What are the kinds of projects that are of greatest interest to you? You know, I think... Um, some of these new wildlife census techniques, such as the infrared work with moose, it'll be interesting to see how we can continue to leverage those technologies to get better and better data and also be less and less disruptive to wildlife populations and recreational users while we're acquiring those data. So that's something I'm excited about and um, helping to work with my fellow biologists on how we can apply some of that technology to improve our understanding of wildlife populations and better inform our management decisions. Uh -huh. So uh, you'll be working with, you, you mentioned white-tailed deer in the east that is uh, apparently on the horizon for you to be working with? Yeah, and that's, at this point, I'm just learning about, um, you know, doing a little bit of learning about how folks are managing white-tailed deer back in the eastern U.S., um, there are certainly challenges with white-tailed deer in inhibiting forest regeneration in some of the eastern states because the deer populations are so high. And so at this point, I'm sort of in a learning phase and acquiring information mm -hmm. on that as opposed to having anything meaningful to share with you today. Yeah, okay. Well, Hanum, I think we've exhausted our time, but I really appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you. Uh, yeah, you too been trying to find out more about Rocky Mountain National Park, so uh, you've been a big help. Uh, so uh, I, wish, I wish you well in your new job. Maybe we'll talk again about uh, what, you're, what you're encountering as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. This is a, a, a new adventure for me, so I look forward to getting a bit more knowledge on some of those things I'll be working on, and we'll see what the future holds. And, um, yeah, hopefully this was helpful, and uh, I look forward to hearing uh, the results once you have it all brushed up. I'll send you a copy. Okay. Well, thanks very much. 
Our guest today has been Hannah Abeles, a wildlife biologist with the National Park Service. This has been Wilderness and Wildlife, a presentation of the Gallatin Wildlife Association in Bozeman, Montana. To hear more of these half-hour interviews, go online to js-wilderness.com and see additional features of our website. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Jay Shell.